0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, family, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Genesis chapter 3. That's where we'll be this morning. Genesis chapter 3. Now, I, I want to uh, implore you or tell you to go read this whole chapter, maybe the whole whole first three chapters of Genesis in your own time. Make make sure you get some context. Context is very important as we're looking at the word. Last week, we started uh, as Pastor Steve. He preached through uh, Isaiah, and he talked about God being a wonderful counselor or Jesus being this wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, this, this, this Jesus who's coming. And he about that in Isaiah chapter 9 and what he did is he started off our series where we're, we're calling this a series where we're looking forward Can y'all say looking forward we're looking forward. So Advent, really, it means the arrival. It means the coming of or the arrival of Jesus. So we're looking forward, not only to Jesus, but we're looking forward to what he's going to do in our life individually, in our church, in the next season, all of these things. We got a lot to look forward to because how many of y'all know this past year has been crazy? It's been a, it's been a tough one. So we're looking forward with expectation and hope and joy. We're looking forward to Jesus. And what we've been doing is we're going through the Old Testament last week, this week, and the next couple of weeks where we're going to look at uh, passages that specifically point to Jesus in the Old Testament. So today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read one verse, Genesis chapter 315. If you got it, go ahead and stand on your feet with me if you're able. If you got it, go ahead and say, Got it. <clears throat> Hear now the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The very word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on this topic pre planned provision. Pre-planned provision. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. God, I ask right now as I ask each week that you would hide me behind your cross. Decrease me so that you may increase. Father, we need a word from you, not from me, but from you. Now, Father, I ask that you would be in my body, that you would speak with my mouth. That everything I say and do be glorifying to you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can go ahead and take your seat. <clears throat> Renewal, let me ask you something. How would you live if you knew that Provision was already made for you regardless of you doing right or wrong. Think about it. How how would you live? I mean, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be strong in times of weakness. Nobody is holding your mess-ups over your head when you do wrong? What if I told you, because some of you all walked in here with a battle, what if if I told you that the battle and the things that you're facing in your life that are tough right now was already conquered and won before you were born? It's hard to fathom, right? It's hard to fathom. I mean, this is tough for us as adults because everything in our life And everyone in our life relates to us by what we do or what we bring to the table. And sometimes I I look at my kids, you know, the passage of scripture where it talks about we have to be like children to get into the kingdom of heaven. I look at them and I'm like, man, I, I, I get this scripture because here's the reality. When I'm looking at my kids. They run around without a care in the world. Like, like they they got it all handed to them. They're they're doing well. It's all good, Daddy. We got it. We got a roof over our heads, all of these things. They run around, and they're just happy-go-lucky. And I'm like, oh, that's how I should be. There's freedom. See, with my kids, they get to grow up with the privilege that I didn't have. My wife and I didn't have this privilege where we grew up in a family where it was a single mom, and we didn't have two parents in the household, and some of you all, you all grew up like that, too. Maybe you did have two parents in the household, but maybe they weren't present. And see, my wife and I have children that are growing up in a household with a father and a mother who provides for them and loves them regardless of the right or the wrong they do. Now, hear me, I'm no, in no way am I saying that we're perfect and we got it all together. No, we mess up. But what I'm really saying to you, and I don't want you to miss it, is that there's a certain freedom that my kids have with two parents that I didn't have see, in my household with single parent, there was an unspoken understanding of this unspoken understanding where I knew I had to make it. I knew I had to make it, which didn't allow me to live from a place of freedom. But watch this. Instead, I live from a place of pressure. Pressure to make it. Pressure to be the best that I can be in everything I did. Pressure to make good money. Pressure to stay out of trouble. Pressure to get a good job. Pressure to get a scholarship. Pressure to be an example for others, especially my younger three sisters. There's pressure. Pressure because I knew as much as my mom wanted to provide the moon and the sun for me, she was struggling trying to provide my immediate needs. Pressure. There was no safety net. If I'm honest with you today, that pressure is still something I have to fight against. Still something that lingers within me. Meanwhile, my kids, on the other hand, I, there, there's things I'm putting in place or pre-planning, putting in place for them, like 529 accounts for their college or, or different investments that they'll receive Someday down the line, pre-planning provision for them, regardless of what they do. See, we as parents aren't just providing or trying to take care of the immediate needs, but we're looking toward the future. Where my kids, on the other hand, y'all, they ain't tripping off of that. It's actually, they're not even on their radar. The only thing they're thinking about, Daddy, what we eat pizza after church. But we're pre-planning. We're we're thinking about provision for our kids. So prayerfully, they will live from a place of freedom instead of pressure. That doesn't mean they won't struggle. They will struggle. They'll have issues. But freedom instead of pressure. Where am I going with all of this? Hear me. In this passage today, in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis, God puts a plan of provision in place For his followers to prevail and win in life, regardless of their right and wrong. And the truth of the matter, hear me, is that that should cause the believer to live from a place of freedom instead of pressure. Freedom. Got two points and I'm out your way. Number one, is God enough? It's a question, is God enough, and number two, our great redeemer, our great redeemer? It's a lot of y'all in here, so y'all going to have to talk because you're kind of quiet. Today, we're going to see in this passage those two things. We'll see when I ask you this question, is God enough? And our great redeemer here, right in the midst of Adam and Eve's rebellion here in chapter three, God is handing out righteous judgment. And I say righteous judgment, emphasis on righteous, because they were told not to eat from this tree, but instead they did it. So hear me, there had to be judgment in order for there to be justice or things to be made right. Simply put, without justice, there is no peace. But yet watch this, put this in your back pocket, take it home with you. In the midst of everything, God is yet oh so gracious to put a plan in place to save humanity before he hands out judgment. Don't miss that. He doesn't just choose to judge, but at the same time, he chooses to redeem. Y'all missed your amen. See, in the text, Adam and Eve have just eaten from the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil, which they were told not to. But yet, as I alluded to, they're duped in or they're enticed by this serpent slithering around his crafty words. It says in verse one, he's the craftiest of all creatures. And then when they get the words that he says versus God's words, they choose to rebel against the word of God. Now, get this. Adam and Eve, they knew no wrong. Knew no wrong. They're in perfect peace. They're in perfect harmony with God. Honestly, y'all, they're not even thinking about this tree. We don't even see them thinking about this tree until this snake comes into the picture and starts throwing out all these words against God's words. Y'all, they literally had everything they needed in relationship with God. I could imagine them just skipped into my loo. they naked too, by the way, all the way through the garden, just just having a good old time, just frolicking around. They don't care about nothing because everything's provided for them y'all missing this okay my son dj man he's he's three years old but last night he came down the stairs i mean pajamas just wide open no diaper just i'm like yo d you gotta put something on man like it's five women in the house he's like what daddy <laughs> i'm like bro you can't do that but see everything is provided for him he's like i'm good what you talking about dad See, that's Adam and Eve in the text, y'all. And if they're so in this much freedom, it it begs the question, if sin had not entered the world yet and they were made perfect, why did they eat from this tree knowing what God said? Hear me. Adam and Eve choose to eat from this tree because they saw something that was pleasing or they, they thought it was right, and what they did is they went ahead and they ate from it. They saw something as the... The prophet of our age, Drake, says, would give them more life. In this moment, they didn't choose God. They chose what they wanted. And here's the reason why. Don't miss it. The serpent hits a cord that exists within Adam and Eve when he begins to ask questions and he makes them start to question. Is God really enough? Is his, is his word really enough? Think of it this way. If God is really enough, does it matter that he put a tree in the garden that he said don't eat from? We got everything we need. If God is really enough, Do we need anything else? I mean, if if God is really enough and this snake just comes in and he's slithering around and he's got crafty speech, does it really even matter? We got it all. They know what God said. Eve even tells the serpent, God said no. But yet they still choose to eat. But then you ask, well, okay, Pastor, why in the world would God even put the tree in the midst of the garden in the first place? And I joke with this, but God could have put a cotton ball in the midst of the garden and said, don't touch the cotton ball. They still would have touched it because this ain't about the tree or the cotton ball. This ain't about him putting something in there and saying, don't touch. It's about them trusting him. It's about them trusting his word no matter the cost. In that moment, all they needed to do was trust him. And in that moment, he's just simply not enough. See, at the heart of this original or first sin with Adam and Eve, humanity's foundational problem is highlighted, and that is trusting more in ourselves and our own judgment instead of trusting in God. Ultimately, we say to God, you're not enough, and I need more. I need more, God. I I need more money. I need more house. I need more knowledge. I need more sex. I need more satisfaction, more fulfillment. You fill in the blank. We all are searching for more. Anybody resonating with that? You're like, man, I want more in life. That's all of us in here. That's the Chicago way. We ain't satisfied in Chicago. We just got to have more. We keep going. Let me put it this way. I don't want y'all to miss that. Let me ask you another question. As we look towards the advent of Jesus, this coming of Jesus, this is Christmas season, this arrival of Jesus, let me ask you, you just directly, is God enough? And don't be so quick to answer the question. Is God really enough? Is who he is, is his his word enough? What what do I mean? Looking at this text, God just says, don't eat from the tree. It's simple, right? Don't eat from the tree lest you die. Don't eat from the tree. That's all it is. You got everything you need with me. You got everything you could ever ask for. You have peace, perfect harmony with me. Y'all ain't even got clothes on. No care in the world let me put it this way. Adam and Eve, because I don't want y'all to miss this. Adam and Eve, they're not like us. Adam and Eve were, were not lacking in anything. There was no sadness. There's no pandemic. There's no school shooting like in Michigan. There's no racism, no injustice, no tears, uh, no murder, no corruption. Shall I keep going? They had no sin. They were in perfect shalom or peace with God. They had it all, but yet God is still not enough. Family, they didn't trust God with everything when everything was perfect. So if you answer the question, is God enough, really quickly with a yes, I'm going to probably venture out and say that you're probably not telling the truth. I, I know I'm in the kitchen today. Huh? I'm in your living room. Friends, the truth of the matter is, this is for all of us, me included, faith, living for Jesus is a struggle. It's, it's hard. We, we do have Murder. There is racism around us. There is injustice. There is corruption. There is sin. Everything that Adam and Eve did not have, we live in. It exists in our society. And it's because of their decision here in the word to not trust God that that has trickled on down to where we are today. So hear me. The answer should be a resounding from all of us. Yes, God is enough. But if we're really honest, deep within us, the answer is no, he's not enough. Before we just throw Adam and Eve under the bus. I ask this question. Is God enough? Because just like Adam and Eve, we still have that same question lingering in front of us. Is God enough? Do you believe God is enough? When you're tempted, is God enough? When you're going through that trial, is God enough? When you can't see your way out, is God enough? Here's the reality. Some of us have walked in the church today and you're sitting right in the middle of answering this question. Is God enough? Do I really trust him? Some of you are in a place of I'm dismantling my faith, all the racism, all this stuff. And I see this in the Bible and I see this person talking about this. Well, I feel this way. I don't know if I can believe in a God who allows all this stuff to happen. I don't know if I could do this anymore. This pandemic is getting to me. I've lost loved ones. I've lost jobs. My marriage is, on, is, is shaky at best, probably really on the rocks. And if we're honest, it's hard to trust God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then some of you guys are like me, you're an achiever where being in this pandemic has been tough because you want to achieve you want to do the best you can you want to want to make it at all costs you want to climb the ladder you want to be the person in charge you want to be all these things and the reality is with a looming predicament of the pandemic there's only so many achievements that you can you can accomplish because you can't solve the pandemic and so what ends up happening is that your mind or your brain just never stops Trying to do this thing, you're trying to take on this task, you're trying to do that, and then you end up just tired, like, God, can I get a breather? I'm tired. And it's all stemming from the fact that we really don't trust that He's enough. Resting in His Word. See, our nature is to rebel and to not trust God fully. And some of you may not like me saying that's our nature, so let me just change it up and say, our culture is, is one where, where we don't we, we don't we don't we don't we don't really want to trust in a sovereign god we want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in everything else. See, everything around us is strive for greatness. Be the best you can be. Be innovative. Be strong. Be independent. Be powerful. Where on the other hand, the gospel says you may be all of those things. You may be able to conscious accomplish a lot of things, but it ain't because you did it. It's because God allowed it to happen or he predestined it for you before you even came to being. So therefore, if he's provided it, then the proper response is for us to say, God, I'm here, and depend on him fully. But see, therein lies the problem. Because deep within us, we struggle just like Adam and Eve in the text, and we think we know better than God, and it causes us to start questioning the trustworthiness of God. And in result, we become our own functional saviors. Where the lie that pervades our mind, whether it's conscious or unconscious, is the question of, or it's the saying, I don't really need God. I got this. Renewal, our sin, hear me, our rebellion, it it really runs deep within us. It's in our nature, and there's nothing we can do in our own strength to get rid of it. It's, it's just like Steve said last week. He said there's darkness that exists within all of us. We don't like it, but it's there. Our sin, hear me, our rebellion against God is deeply rooted. It's filthy, it's grimy, it's dirty, it's in our being. And no matter how good we think we are, no matter how successful we are, no matter how much money we make in this life, we can't get ourselves out of our own mess. We need a savior. We needed a Savior who saw us in our mess and chose to intervene and cleanse us. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ, hear me, it doesn't start with our work. It starts with God's work on our behalf, his love for us. Well, you say, well, okay, Pastor D, I don't know about that. you, you trying to tell me I can't do anything? Like there's nothing that warrants salvation? There's nothing that, that where, where I can achieve or I can do this? No. Our work is what got us into this mess. God's command to hear me in the garden was very simple. Don't eat from the tree. You have perfect harmony with me, everything you want. But instead they chose what they thought was more pleasing and promised more. And because of that, we all struggle to this day. Stuck. Wrestling with our own flesh, all once, struggling, trusting and asking, is God enough? Is he enough? But see, here's why I love this passage. And here's the good news. What I love about God. Because when you read this passage, he knows that we're going to struggle. He knows we're going to struggle with our belief and trusting him fully. So in this text, he puts a plan in place before he even punishes Adam and Eve. And, And hear me. Hear me, this is the good part about it. God being omniscient or all-knowing, he doesn't even leave it up to us getting to the point of whether or not we believe Jesus is enough or not. No, no, no. He puts this plan in place before we're born, before he judges Adam and Eve, which tells us that redemption or his plan to redeem ain't based off of anything we bring to the table, but based off of his love towards his creation. Verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God right here, he goes on to punish or before he punishes Adam and Eve here in the text. I love it. He confronts the serpent or Satan and he says, I'm going to put enmity or hostility between Her offspring and your offspring, her offspring will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And the last time I checked, a blow to the head is far worse than a blow to the heel. Basically saying her seed is going to triumph over you and your scheme, Satan. He will be the hero. There will be one that's going to come and he's going to crush you, Satan. Friends, it's almost as if God in this passage knew his children are oblivious. It's like a parent putting up a a life insurance policy saying they don't know about this, but just in case something happens or I die or when I die, I'm going to put this in place so so they can have provision or or they can take care of themselves. They don't need to know about it, but it's there for them. He knew his children didn't stand a chance against Satan and the ways of Satan. He says, so so, so, I'm going to let you live today, Satan. But one day, there's someone that's going to come, and he's going to crush you. He's going to crush you. Now, mind you, Adam and Eve, as I just said, they, they, they don't know evil at this time. It, it's they It's really not even fair that they're going back and forth with this snake right now. I mean, it's like me telling... DJ's all up in here today. It's it's like me telling DJ, he's three now. Love my little dude. He eats the world, though. He eats everything. And it's like me telling DJ, look, man, don't talk to strangers, especially don't take food from strangers. And in that moment, DJ will be like, yes, daddy. Yes, sir. I will not do that. But if somebody who he does not know walks up to him with a handful of candy And all the ice cream he can eat is over. My man's going to be like Cookie Monster. Just eat it up. He does not stand a chance. It's not even fair. And see, God knows that here in the passage. He's like, no, no, no. I know this. Let me put some provision in place. Hear me. See, as a parent. God being a heavenly father, he wants them to obey. He wants them to obey his word. And and I think in the text, Adam and Eve truthfully do want to obey him. Eve again even says, God said, we ain't supposed to eat from that tree. But after enough craftiness with the serpent, she says, yes. And they just start smashing on the fruit. So there has to be judgment. In order for there to be justice, but before any judgment is given, I don't want y'all to miss this. God gives him grace. He gives him grace. He puts a plan in place right here in verse 15 of our text. He, he tells the serpent, someone's going to come and crush you. And I know some of y'all are saying, well, how in the world, pastor, do you keep saying that Satan? How do you know that this is Satan? I need you to hear me listen in. When's the last time you heard a snake speak? I'm waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for you to tell me this ain't no Disney film. Snakes don't talk. So it lets you know this is not a mere snake also when you look at the words here in the text when you read the context the fact that this snake is taking the word of god and he's he's twisting the word of god and he's he's reiterating it in different ways and he's conniving he's deceiving them with the word of god don't miss this let me help somebody out because somebody in here y'all are getting words from people from all over the place and they're saying this is a word from god this is a word from god hear me satan knows the word of god so if someone comes up to you and says here i got a word for you that for you that's from god You need to know the scripture because it might not be from God. He is the great deceiver. Did the same thing to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 when you read the gospels. When Jesus is baptized and he goes into the wilderness and he starts fasting for 40 days, Satan comes and he's like, well, Jesus, why don't you take this stone? If you're hungry, take the stone and, and turn it into bread. And Jesus says, well, man shall not live off of bread alone. And then he says, well, let me try something else again. He says, well, look. Throw yourself off this cliff, and when you throw yourself off the cliff, the angels, God, will surely sin, and they will save you. And then Jesus uses the scripture again, and he says, well, you shall never put the Lord your God to the test. But I don't want you to miss the difference here between what Jesus does and what Adam and Eve do. Jesus stands strong in the midst of Satan's wiles and his ways and what he has to say. And he confronts him or he rebuttals him or rebukes him with the word of God over and over and over again. Eve, when the snake comes to her, she says one time, not repeatedly, one time, God said, don't eat. And after enough time with this serpent, she's like, all right, we're going to eat it. It does look good. You want some too, Adam? Cool. Let's eat together. Let's have a big old buffet. You see the difference between the two? Family, I need you to take this home with you. The reason we struggle with temptation so much in our life, the reason we struggle with sin, is because we're simply not relying on the Word of God for our strength. We're not relying on God Himself to be our strength. It's like I said before. God is just not enough. And and hear me, we may start start off really strong, just like Eve. And we may say, well, God said this, and and this is the truth. And and then after a while, we just start leaning back into our own strength and what we think and what we feel, and we start to fall again. Oh, I, I I could just do this one last time. It's not going to mess me up. I' do this one, you know, I could do this. or uh, maybe you have a struggle with alcohol, you know what? I could go out with my friends. I, I'm strong enough, we can go to the bar. We can, I just just one drink. it's not going to hurt me. Oh, you, know, you know Yeah, yeah. She's she fine. He, he, he's fine, and we're grown ups, though. I'm trying to live the way God wants me to live, but I could I go back to the house. And, we ain't going to have sex, though. It's not, it's not going to happen. Oh, it's Christmas time. You know, I just got my bonus. or so I'm about to get my bonus. Uh, you know, I don't need a budget. I, I, I know how to manage my finances. I, I'm good. I'm not going to go into debt. Over and over and over again, we just keep on relying on our own strength, our own self. We are going down the line, you know, "Uh -uh, man, I I got this new iPhone. I got this new computer. I I don't need no guards on that. Even though I struggle with porn, I'm okay. Over and over and over again, we keep going back to what what we think we can do in our own strength. And we fall. But yet hear me, God is oh so gracious because the good news is that God knew we would struggle and this would be the case, and he puts a plan in action before we were even born right here in verse 15. Family, hear me. Just in case you're missing what I'm getting at, here is why I keep bringing us back to verse 15 of the text. I want us to understand that redemption or the plan to redeem, it didn't start when Jesus was born and came down from heaven. No, it started way back here in the beginning of the Bible, right here in Genesis chapter three, where God here, instead of placing judgment on them right away, he says, nope, I'm going to put a plan in action to redeem you before I judge or punish Genesis 3.15, I need you to write this down. It's commonly known as the proto-evangelium. Can y'all say that? First service didn't even try. Proto-evangelium. It's a mouthful. It literally just means the first pronouncement of the gospel. The first pronouncement of the gospel right here in Genesis 3.15. This is the first time God sees his people in their weakness, in their mess, and he doesn't just shun them. No, he steps in. You read the passage, I love the part where it says, in the cool of the day, God just comes in. And he's trying to find his children. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Adam and Eve, they're weak at this moment. They're neck-y, naked and ashamed. Their eyes have been opened Since they ate from the tree, and they now know what it feels like to be distant from God. And God, he's gracious by not killing them, but he's also justice because he judges them for what they did. God is gracious by putting a plan in action where he would send the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head. But yet he's still just by allowing them to feel the consequences of their own sin. Hear me, family. Here's the point. In the midst of God's judgment, he also redeems. Listen, redeem means to compensate for the faults or the bad aspects of something. God, in the midst of Adam and Eve's sin, knowing they lack trust and belief, He says, I see what's happened to my children. I see what's happened to my creation, and I got to judge them to achieve justice, but I also will save them. They can't defeat Satan, but I can. They can't stand strong in the midst of his ways, but I can. They can't save themselves, but I can. Friends, Genesis 3 isn't just a pronouncement of the gospel. It's a prophecy that's fulfilled in the advent or the coming of Jesus. He was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He was the seed of the woman that would crush Satan's head. He is the hero. He is the one that stomped on the the serpent's head, the unblemished lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. You see, God saw us again in the midst of our sinfulness. And instead of just saying what he was going to do this time, he just does it. Jesus steps out of heaven Form of man born in the likeness of us, and he takes our sin upon himself, the full wrath of God, and he dies on the cross for our wrongdoing. Friends, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's pronouncement here in Genesis 3:15. He imputed or gave us his righteousness and took on our unrighteousness upon himself. He who knew no sin took on sin for our sakes. Family, Jesus is the great redeemer. And renewal, here's why I'm so passionate about this. This is why this is important this morning. Because, hear me, we will fall time and time again. We will mess up over and over and over again. We will doubt God over and over again. We will trust ourselves instead of him over and over again. And if you're in this pandemic with me, which means all of us, and you're saying, nope, I'm still standing strong, that's not me, I would venture to say that you're lying. We all have been struggling. This is a tough season. It's been a hard almost two years now. And the good news here in this text is that when we get low and we start to feel our weaknesses, the believer has to remember that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because he became condemned for us, which means that his death was our day in God's courtroom. Justice was served on the cross. Instead of that being us on the cross, it was him who took our place. Jesus became guilty for us so that if we believe, we can be innocent. What does that mean for you and I? It means that believers, when we believe in Jesus, we don't have to be strong to prove ourselves like the culture tells us to be. No, what it means is that Jesus proved our worth already on the cross. It means that that, that that in my weakness, I'm not weak. No, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. I don't have to depend on myself. I can depend on him. See, when we look at this text, I'm pretty sure God wants Adam and Eve to obey him. But in their weakness, they chose to rebel and go against the word of God, knowing what he said. And again, I love it. I, I say the great thing about God is that on one hand, he notices their mess up. He notices their flaws. He notices their weakness. But on the other hand, he's not just a just judge or a just God who judges in his righteousness, but he's also a great redeemer. So as the band comes forward, let me end with this question. The same one I began with. How would you live your life If you knew provision was already made for you, regardless of the right or the wrong that you do. During this Advent season, what does it look like for us to just slow down? Slow down and meditate not on the gifts that we're going to receive, not even on the gifts that we're going to give, but instead turn our gaze to the gift that's already been given, who is Jesus. Let this truth about Jesus inform the way you live. Let it inform the way you give this season. And let it inform the way you love, not only this month, but for the rest of your life. Believe in him and experience the freedom of a child and the love of a good father. Believe in him and know that he is enough as well as that he is a great redeemer. Family, in the midst of Adam and Eve's weakness here in this text, God puts a plan in place to redeem them. Jesus, the seed, prophesied in Genesis 3.15 come to redeem us, each and every last one of us, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Let that truth give you freedom in this season, not pressure, freedom. Let the truth of knowing that God loves you in this season give you hope and joy to look forward amen let's pray father thank you so much for this morning you are truly an awesome savior we give you glory we give you honor because you're good god i pray for those that have walked in today heavy hearts burdens that they would know that they're fully loved and accepted in your sight that they would lay down their lives and say god I'm tired of doing this my own way that we would just have a posture of repentance saying we're turning from this thing and we're turning back to you God I'm tired of doing this thing that way I want to do it your way I need you Jesus and God I pray that that posture would inform the way that we all live the way we carry on about our lives the way we give the way we love one another that this world and this city would be different because of what you're doing in the heart of your followers Jesus, we not only thank you for today, but we thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. And we thank you for the beginning of time, God, where you would put a plan in place, regardless of our right and wrong, and say, I'm going to put this here for my children so they would know that I'm good and that I love them. And I got them in the palm of my hands if they just trust me. Father, I pray that that would be us this morning. And even in those spaces where we struggle, help our unbelief. We thank you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.